0: Dun, dun, dun.
1: Welcome to our podcast.
0: As, As a, a matter, matter of black, I'm Bowie. And it's me, you know, the brother, never walking above the people, but always with them. <laughs> Bali.
1: Uh, <laughs> okay, don't walk on the people. Uh, <laughs> I
0: said above them.
1: Oh, whatever. So, yeah, welcome back to another episode of As a Matter of Black. We're so happy that y'all
0: can join us. No doubt, man. I gotta give a shout out to those uh, listeners, those people that have been retweeting, sharing the episodes, man. You know what I'm saying? Y'all, the real MVPs out there, man. Because we just out here, you know, just giving, you know what I'm saying, the best to be in Black, you
1: know? Yeah. We've always had like a very consistent listenership. So the people that like really fool with us have constantly like checked in with us. they listen to every episode. Um, every time we release. we always love when people ask us and when we're out with our friends and you know people in the in the city when they ask about our new episode or upcoming episode, we always appreciate that. So yeah, continue to do that for us continue to share us with your friends and mention us to you know people that could be potential sponsors or potential potential subscribers and you know hit us up on instagram and email us and all those things no doubt so we're back
0: we're back man and you know like um we we, we stepping into that well that That third phase of the American calendar. Okay. Calendar year, season-wise. Sure. People like me, we know that the new year actually really starts in spring. You know what I'm saying?
1: And by people like you, you mean?
0: People like me.
1: Do those people know that they're like you? I don't know. Oh.
0: You know what I'm saying? Like, most people think that the year starts with winter. And on the, well, I said it wrong. So on American calendar, it starts with winter. But, you know, saying new life begins, that's when new year begins. And that's usually in spring. Okay. So the third phase of the year is fall, autumn, Um, whatever.
1: Yeah. Well, I was an autumn baby.
0: Shout out to you.
1: So I'm really looking forward to cooler weather, even though it's not, it's, 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 it's coming slightly, you know, not as fast as I'd like to see it, but, you know, it's on its way.
0: Man, you know, I was reading something. I was reading something, and I'm going to get into what I was talking about. But I was reading something, and uh, they say uh, we- weather depression is real. like
1: It's so real.
0: And people, we always talk about weather depression in the places that are like Arctic cold and like super cold all the time. No. Summer, like heat gives people depression too as well.
1: Oh, I didn't realize that.
0: Yes, because people don't want to come outside in it. They grouchy, violent crimes go up, everything.
1: That's very true. Wow. So,
0: so people like sit in the house and become depressed more in the summertime because it's like the heat just like discourage them from wanting to do anything outside of the house unless they got to. And most of the time it's just I got to go to work or I got to go get the kids or something
1: like that. Well, definitely, you know, take care of yourself. I typically experience depression in the winter is yeah. when I usually experience it like right, right around January or sometime i'm happy as hell oh for me it's like after all the holiday and i mean i'm not the biggest holiday person but you know holidays typically bring about cheer in terms of like friends and family and camaraderie and like socialization Mm -hmm. and then it seems like like you know after all that stuff is gone and over with Mm -hmm. and everybody's kind of going back to work as usual the social depression kind of sets in
0: no that's that's (laughs) that's that's actually pretty, you know what I'm saying? Um, interesting. Okay. Because like everybody likes to, I mean, most people I know love the holidays, love the holiday season.
1: Yeah. Even
0: if they don't celebrate holidays,
1: I love the holiday season
0: because it's like people are cheerful, they're giving,
1: you off work a they, lot, they
0: helpful, all that stuff.
1: Yeah. And I never
0: think about that. That transition into let's get back into people's normal moods and because you know ain't no more feeding on the less fortunate ain't no more gift giving no, ain't no more let's get together in fellowship ain't no more ain't about people doing holiday season you can get a plate just like it ain't nothing right it's like food is abundant like,
1: oh I made this blah 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 you want to come get a plate or but,
0: but you know when people start acting stingy when in the summertime at the cookout and like you gotta bring something <laughs> to get To get a lot of
1: times, you do need to bring something to the cookout.
0: People be like, "Hold on, hold on! You getting the plate to go? What did you do? What did you bring?"
1: (laughs) No, first of all, one of the things I started realizing, like as I got older and started working and started like putting money into like dishes and meals for the family potlucks, Mm -hmm. when the little people be showing up and they don't be bringing nothing, I got an attitude because it's like you bringing yourself, then you want to bring your homies, which as you said we should be totally free to open our doors to people and be giving an abundance of these mm-hmm. sorts of things but it's like bro i spent 75 dollars on the i done brought macaroni and cheese i done brought a ham mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying i slave over the stove and you and your homie coming in and now why do y'all bringing nothing y'all didn't even contribute uh to the potluck money pot
0: so you're talking about, is this holiday season cooking? Or is Holiday
1: season cooking.
0: See, most time people can get
1: away in the holiday season. Not with me, because I you. got an attitude, because I I will say something. Lately, the last maybe three or four years, I have said something.
0: You be like, scoop up that punk ass potato salad? <laughs> and carry your ass on somewhere. I would
1: be like, so you mean to tell me y'all three, of y'all can't y'all completely can on a 20, 20 piece for Popeyes? You said what you telling me?
0: Hey, brothers. <laughs> But it's you talking to y'all. Brothers, you know what I'm saying? Before you come holler at booy, stop by the Popeyes, pies. Man, you ain't... 20
1: pieces. Put it, just
0: put something on it. Put something on it. And look, and if you ain't got enough for the 20-piece, man, you can get 24 nuggets for about $11, $12 now, from my understanding. That
1: a word?
0: Hey, I mean, it ain't the same as a whole piece of chicken, but at least you can say, hey, Matter of fact, just go big. Don't even get, say I want two twenty-four. Bring forty-eight nuggets.
1: <laughs> I'm not even gonna eat the chick pie pies or the nuggets.
0: But, but some, somebody, yeah. kids,
1: you know the little yeah. babies, they gonna be want, They don't be wanting all this fancy, you know, savory food. They want something that's familiar to them.
0: Bring some sauces. Bring some sauces along with you.
1: Bring sauces. Let the babies eat a little two two piece of nuggets and some macaroni and they're gonna be going about their business. And
0: reward yourself. Go ahead and get you one of them big gulps. Get you one of them big large sodas (laughs) or some lemonade or something. Reward yourself for spending the 20-something dollars on nuggets.
1: Listen, the last time I had we had family before the before the COVID, nothing I'm gonna say about it. Before the COVID, I was so disturbed. I started drinking hidden. Uh, crown black in mm-hmm. the middle of the day it was like 12, 12 now you know granted the middle of the day is not always an issue for me in terms of liquor consumption but I was around my family you know that's different oh, yeah, for your yeah, daddy yeah. and mama to be around you you know mm-hmm. and I started drinking crown black I was so turd and my daddy was like I was looking out the window drinking crown black and he was like he was like what you doing what you thinking about I was like don't you <laughs> I was like, "Happy holidays,
0: Dad!" Happy holidays, <laughs> and her was like these trifling Negroes <laughs> leaning on the kickstand with the crown black. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> About to black out. You know what I'm saying? <laughs>
1: crown blackout You know. It was Thanksgiving. I mean like it was
0: yesterday. Already, well, you know what I'm saying. Thanksgiving, <laughs> one of those holidays. You know what I'm saying? Shout out to our Native American brothers and sisters. I mean, you know what I'm saying? The indigenous people. Because I definitely be with y'all. I don't really be celebrating. I just be congregating and fellowshipping. You know, you know what, what I'm saying?
1: You know you
0: can't hit on us for doing that. Can't hate on us for doing that. And, and, and especially right now, you know what I'm saying, with uh, everything that's going on in the world, man, we be waiting for opportunity to be around our loved ones. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it's all good. But you know what I'm saying. I want to get into a topic that I personally want to talk about. You know, I'm saying it's 2021. We we starting to see uh, uh, athletics, you know, and sports events get back to um, almost full capacity at a lot of these events. Basketball, football.
1: We starting to see it. Yeah,
0: man, they getting out there. I mean,
1: the back played yesterday, and it was packed at the stadium. Man, and the oh, there's
0: oh, a black quarterback. Yeah.
1: Apparently.
0: Wow. Uh, yeah, he's up there. There's two black quarterbacks, actually. Oh,
1: nice.
0: But, uh, you know what I'm saying? Um, I uh, personally want to talk about one figure in particular, you know what I'm saying? Naomi Osaka. I hope I'm saying her last name right. Right. So, you know what I'm saying? The tennis, the tennis player. Phenom. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Everybody remember her from I think that was in 2019. She beat Serena. Which
1: was incredible. Which is
0: incredible. Uh but it was and she's
1: young, right? She like she's young.
0: She's 23 now, so she's okay. like 21. She like 21. Then. Yeah. Yeah. But uh it, it it was incredible, but it's even I think what people were forgetting about too was uh Serena was fresh off having a baby. Mm-hmm. So you know yeah. it was incredible yeah. for her to be competing on a high level like that because you know, man, having no having a baby ain't no, uh, you know what I'm saying, that ain't no Mickey Mouse course right there.
1: I mean, I wouldn't know, but some of you may. I
0: mean, ask your mama. <laughs> ask your mama. That's all I'm going to say to you. You know what I'm saying? She's going to let you know. Oh, yeah. You know what I'm saying? You know, you can be superwoman, but, you know what I'm saying, if you want to, but, you know, having a baby, just, that's, <laughs> that is not, uh, that ain't no, that ain't light work. As they said that ain't light yeah. work. Right, But, you know, for those of you all don't know, Naomi Osaka, uh, Naomi Osaka, man, she beat Serena, like, in 2019, and then she didn't ask for it. But, you know, when you when you beat Serena, I, you would basically be crowned as, like, the next great tennis player. And um, when she did that at a young age and a spotlight got on her super, super big, she went from, like, you know, something that casual... Uh, tennis fan, people were probably just familiar with her game a little bit, to in a household and of people who never even watched tennis at all, and probably just heard hear about people like Serena. And, um, you know what I'm saying? Since then, you know what I'm saying, she's accomplished a few great wins and successes on the court. Um, she made the, the cover of, like, Sports Illustrated, and uh, was named Sports Person of the Year. Wow. Yeah, that was in 2020. She made times 100 most influential people's list. Uh, She stood up in different arenas and made uh, statements, uh, political statements as far as like how black lives matter and talked about the importance of athletes having to speak up in this time and age about social issues and bringing about social change. Man, she got like hella endorsements in that time. Uh, recently, she just had a Netflix movie. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? But of course, with that comes the uh, the scrutiny too, because she is half black, half Japanese. So you know, uh, when you when you black anything, people just is not going to let you live. Right. Uh, at I all. It's so
1: much like a, micro, a magnifying glass.
0: Yeah, because it's like, you know what I'm saying, you know, they got the show that came out called Shut Up and Dribble. And that basically came about, that's on, uh, I want to say Showtime, I want to say, that basically came about because athletes started speaking out more in this era. And then there's one lady told LeBron and Kevin Durant, like, stop talking about politics, stop talking about social issues, shut up and dribble. It was one of those uh, white anchors from uh, Fox News, I want to say, or CNN, one of the two.
1: Which is crazy, like that people don't have voices. It's weird to me that like you can be an athlete. And of course, athleticism has all to do with like your physicality, but it's sort of like strips you of your humanity and your like your philosophy as a human being. Yeah. Right. Just because you are physically, you know, contributing to something doesn't mean that like you're void of any of anything else.
0: Yeah. And and the thing about it is it's like. The people that are mostly saying this are people who grew up in the era when, at, like, the only athlete they can remember saying something is Muhammad Ali yeah. or, or, or they're, uh, you know, they might remember somebody like Jim Brown or Kareem Abdul Jabbar, Bill Russell, these people saying stuff, mm-hmm. you know, at, at, at one point.
1: They weren't cool with it then, though. They
0: weren't. But, but, but notice the people that I was mentioning, that's like, these are like 70s, 60s people, you know what I'm yeah. saying? And so, now in this era, you know, um, man, the NBA athletes—you got the Colin, you got Colin Kaepernick, his situation. Mm-hmm. You got people like LeBron, WNBA players, like really was—they weren't getting the spotlight, but they was doing the absolute most as far as like speaking up on mm-hmm. political issues in this country. And you got people like Naomi Osaka, uh, too, also speaking up. But they're not used, they're not used to the like the, the, the level of like uh people use their voice, so they got something to say about it. And you know I'm saying, cause their whole idea is like you are black and you make millions of dollars. Right. Why should you feel the need to say anything right. about like anything about anything political, what's going on in the world, because you should be, you should feel privileged and and uh grateful to the point where you shouldn't say anything about what's going on. Just play your sport and be good at
1: it. But I feel like that's also very indicative of like the society we live in. Mm-hmm. That like, as a black person, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's like, almost like you don't deserve, first of all, you don't deserve nothing. Yeah. So since being, being being that it's that you don't deserve anything. get I mean, like are 40
0: acres and a mule. Right. <laughs> Couldn't even get that.
1: Couldn't even get that. So you don't deserve anything, not even with what, what is constitutionally, you know, allotted to you. But then when you when you get something, when you are so lucky or when you are fortunate enough to get something, is like, okay, well you one of the well you one of the Negroes that quote unquote made it, and since that's your trope in life, you need to be quiet. Mm-hmm. Like you are not afforded a voice because you're afforded a lifestyle. And the life, the, the lifestyle that you're living is not like the lifestyle of your peers that are that are working nine to five or working part-time jobs or can't get a job. And so because like you're afforded a lifestyle, you're not allowed a voice.
0: And that is like so hypocritical. I mean, you know what I'm saying? A lot of times when you, when these uh, people who got platforms and they YT, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. <laughs> they they honestly forget who are like the biggest agitators and complainers in our society, rich, white men. I mean, Trump got something to complain about all the time. And we talking about people with billionaire status. They have something to complain about every little issue. And you can look at how he talked about Obama. You can look at how he did the Central Park Five. Yeah. You can look at people who came to his rallies and catch on I mean, to about every day. But s- got the most of everything.
1: The sexual, cause, uh, the uh, sexual, and, and Alex, Ms. sexual assault, yeah, sexual assaults. Yeah, all of that. Yeah, you know. The way you talk about his daughter and his wife. Yeah, you know. Sydney.
0: The, you know, it's always the richest white men, the wealthy aristocrats that got a lot to say. You know, even with uh, you know, the girl from the uh, I'm sorry, not the girl, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to be disrespectful, but Nicole Hannah Jones from the 1619 project. She got a lot of scrutiny oh, from the 1619 yeah. project. And then, you know, saying Walter Husband didn't want her to get her tenure and a position yeah. at University of North Carolina. He was born into the wealth. The wealth was uh he was handed the wealth and everything, but he's He's mad about somebody that uh, actually worked their way up having something to say and have an opinion about something. So, but what I want to talk about Naomi Osaka, she's very interesting because she's, you know, she was, you know, 21 when she beat Serena. And now she has opened up the conversation in tennis about self care and mental health breaks. and. Uh, everybody, all these reporters and journalists and the media has so much to say about her. Want to take breaks because she's just supposed to go out there and and play her game, dominate, be the top of the game, and mentally never have any uh, moments where she needs to sit down and recuperate and refuel and get the in- inspirational reel.
1: Yeah,
0: and part of it, I, I think, it's not. I think part of the disgust from the media with her wanting to take mental health breaks has nothing to do with um, uh, her, what she's done on the court. It has everything to do with what she represented when she beat Serena. Yeah. The media was so, it was a lot of white media people out there that were just so anti Serena. They were ready to move on from Serena dominating tennis. Why she was a dark-skinned black woman. She was had a very muscular build and athletic build to herself.
1: Oh my God. She I, I'm just I'm just keeping it real. No, I know. I just yeah. it's very triggering to hear you talk about it. But <laughs> I'm just weird. saying she she had
0: a muscular <laughs> and athletic build, you know what I'm saying? Uh nothing wrong with her at all. You know what I'm saying? She was a very beautiful woman, but how they painted her in the media is somebody who was like like they're trying to do with like the Olympics and the sports now, they want to play it like she has had some type of masculine, uh, something masculine about her, to where she had an unfair advantage. And you know what I'm saying? They were very anti Serena, So they were happy to see a half black, half Japanese woman, beater, petite, young, Very soft spoken, light skin. Light skin. They hate when Serena was served because she, you know, she come out. She got the oh, she she put it all into that serve. Yeah. So they get tired. They got. They were saying that that was intimidating, and she was trying to scare her opponents and stuff like that. And so they throw all their hope on this young girl, thinking that like she'll do it. She'll be quiet and meek and mild about Mm it. And then what she do? She gives Serena the props after she beat her. Yeah. And then she started letting them know, you know, she stepping to endorsement deals, all type of stuff. I'm not a puppet. You can't make me do what I want to do. I'm black and I know it. I'm Japanese and I know it, man. She wearing shirts. Mm-hmm. She doing interviews. She got statements on her shirts, everything. Oh, now how oh, she ain't she ain't colored people. She black. They getting pissed off, and yeah. so and but at the same time they putting all the pressure on her. matches are getting all of views and. All the tension she playing at all these different hours, and I think that that was part of the reason why they picked her as the chosen one. And then now it's the backlash because now she's showing her black, quote unquote, black side. And I think that they like got disgusted about it. And that's why I was so interested in the Netflix documentary, and she talked about her upbringing. And um,
1: who's so I didn't watch the documentary. Yeah, who which one of
0: her parents are is black. Her father is black. He's Haitian actually.
1: Okay.
0: Mother is Japanese. Mm-hmm. Her father um, man, I don't want to I don't want to uh mess it up. I, I want to say he was the athlete. He was an athlete, but mm-hmm. he might not have been. I know he was the one that uh basically coached her up and got her into uh, tennis stuff. Okay. But yeah, you know what I'm saying, and so, but she's so, but she's very aware of both sides of her, and I love her, man. I think she's a dope person, man. I think she represent uh, her generation well, but she just shocked a lot of white people, and and people, I think people need to understand it. Like they gave her that credit for beating her because she beat, she did beat Serena, but they were ready to move on from Serena because Serena was just too black for they liking, right. and everybody know that, uh, you know. How the Venus and Serena came in the game, they came in with a black ass daddy. Right. Which who didn't take, he didn't take nothing from people. He was like, don't do my girls like this. You're not going <laughs> to do them. Anyway, these my babies, all this type of stuff. He was very protective of them. And so they had been waiting on opportunities since they were like teenagers and adults to pounce on them and start critiquing the hell out of them. And you know what I'm saying? So they they was done with Serena after she uh, was beating that one girl, uh, Martino. What's her name? Marshalova or something like that. Mm. They was talking about how that was her biggest opponent. And oh, man, yeah. she that... got
1: like squashed.
0: And she was drugging.
1: She was uh, oh. dope. She
0: was doping it. Oh, they wow. caught her cheating. I'm you know, like, Marshalova, Marshalina, Marshalova. Oh, man, whack. Yeah. So they was ready to move on. But you know what I'm saying? And now she's not living up to that potential of being, being Serena, basically, the next Serena. Because she's not winning all of her matches. And she's basically saying that like, sometimes she doesn't have the energy, her nerves get to her because all this pressure just been on, and it's real, but people want her to just keep on going. And we don't never talk about the athletes over the years who've lost in moments when we thought they should have won, who weren't clutch. It was because they were out there that we look at them basically like they didn't give up, but we don't know if they had moments of failure due to nervousness.
1: I mean, we talked about it a couple of couple of episodes ago. We talked about Mike Tyson and mm-hmm. his defeat that he experienced when he essentially admitted to giving up because he just was like his heart wasn't in it no more. Yeah, like he had this pressure to live up to this Iron Mike, you know, philosophy. And, and
0: I, yeah, go, I'm sorry, go ahead.
1: And you know, towards the end of his career, he just was like he didn't have it in him. And I and think,
0: so, yeah, and I think people forgave him for that or didn't care about that because he was at the end of his career. She's at
1: the end of his career.
0: She's two years into like not two years into her being a pro, but two years into like everybody crying at her to, the next great thing.
1: Yeah.
0: Like they expected her to dominate for 10, 15 more years.
1: Sure.
0: And she has pretty much stated that she has other things that she's interested in.
1: I mean, as you should. Yeah. If you're a young woman, yeah. You know what I'm saying? You're starting out into something new. Yeah. And you, the sky's the limit.
0: Yeah. And so I think that, you know, so I'm going, I'm gonna support the sister, man, because to me, she ain't never stepped out of line, ain't did nothing, said nothing crazy. But just know, I think in my mind, the white media is gonna be out for her because. They hate when our athletes, the people that look like us, talk about issues. They they're different. They stand alone. They don't they don't go with the norm. You know, what I'm saying they're not just grateful for being rich. They still are connected to society and have feelings. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. Um. So
1: two things. Yes, I think the white media has this obsession with people's lives as it relates to athletes but I think in any celebrity situation Mm
0: -hmm. there's
1: always like this this crazy obsession and like intrinsic need to want to know what's happening Mm -hmm. you know um and I hate to bring up like male athletes but like men dominate the athletic world so but there's so many examples of like basketball players and football players and you know any other other male athletes where they're at a press conference and they're here to talk about xyz Mm -hmm. and then the reporters are asking you about something totally unrelated and the people are like well me as a person is kind of at home watching like what's they got to do with like the price of tea in china Mm -hmm. but it's like you know, well, I'm a white reporter, and, like, I got a question about, like, your drug use, or, like, your arrest, or, like, let's talk about, you know, what's happening in the news that, you know, you getting in trouble with the police or whatever, you know, it's unrelated to, like, what we're talking about in terms of, like, my career and my, this game, this match or blah, yeah. blah, blah.
0: Yeah, it's true, man, and they'll and they'll tell you, I'm just, journalists love saying this right here. If you ever, if you, If you ever, I have experienced several different interviews with reporters and journalists, and they say, I gotta ask you this, I'm just doing my job. I gotta ask you this. (laughs) They look, that's like they, that's like they, that's like they, uh, you know, uh, they knee jerk reaction. Yeah. when you they know you're gonna ask you something or you give them a look like, why are you trying to talk to me about this? I'm just doing it. This is part of my job. I gotta ask you this question. But they know that they they they're looking for a response from people when they yeah. ask them these type of questions. I remember like uh whenever the Baltimore Ravens won their Super Bowl, or whatever. Uh man, this was back when Ray Lewis was, you know, you know, captain of the Baltimore Ravens and you know, ESPN reporter Shannon Sharp. Now everybody, Uncle Shannon. Now, but back then he was just tied in for the Baltimore Ravens. I love him. Yeah. uh, Uncle Shannon, you invited to the cookout, dog. (laughs) Uh, You know what I'm saying? He didn't need to invite, but he invited invited to my family cookout. Or family reunion, too. Um, (laughs) But they going over there, he just won the Super Bowl. Mm. He just won the Super Bowl. And they in the locker room afterwards. Or it was either the Super Bowl or they were in the playoffs, one of the two. They, but he walked over to him. They started asking him about his murder case. You know what I'm saying? When he was there, with was couple of dudes. Oh my God. And they were asking him, He was, you know, doing saying all the political correct stuff. And Shannon walked over and was like, look, this man that went to court, he did everything he, did. he back on the team. He good and everything like that. Every week, y'all ask me these questions. <laughs> he got the same answers. He playing best football he ever played in his life. He didn't been respectful. He did what he supposed to. He didn't you know. He didn't engage society. He supposed to give society, and, you know, pay his dues and did all that type of stuff. Can y'all just stop leaving like messing with him? Leave him alone about the, and let the man just play football. Put that stuff behind. Him. He'd go over there and just grab and set it on camera. And Ray Lewis like, damn, yeah, thank you. Somebody said it. Like he said it. <laughs> you see it in his face. Uh, you know right. what I'm saying? But yeah, Ray Lewis now just uh, oh, I don't even want to talk guys. about that now, man. But, <laughs> But I'm just saying, in that moment, Shedda Shark came over and the same dude in the interview, because he was like, like, I know I'm tired of talking about this stuff, but that's what they do. The journalists go out, out of their way to like critique a lot of times. And I just think, uh, we got to watch, we got to watch how they do our people, man. And you know what I'm saying? Because like, she is a, a talent, but she is not conforming to that old, like athlete way of think. things to do it. Well, we've seen Jordan basically say, man, I'm Republicans buy sneakers too. So I'm not going to talk up in support of, like, one political party who's going to talk, like, basically, like, man, I, I'm getting money on both ends of it. We've seen athletes talk about why you shouldn't need it. It's disrespectful to the flag. We just athletes, I'm just here to play sports. And so when she speak up and say things about the issues, man, we understand that we, like, we have to, uh, I don't I say we got a responsibility, but in a way, I'm just basically saying, like, don't throw them away when they start performing at a level where it's not number one, number two in the world. She might end up being number 50 in the world or something like that. But we don't need to cancel them and throw them away because, you know what I'm saying, that's how they did Colin Kaepernick. He was I mean, still good enough to be there, but then what, what did they do? All right, he wasn't even playing at a good level anymore. His team was losing, and I hated for him. We I mean, don't. that's
1: how they over here uh doing. I I mean, she. My, that's how they over here doing. our good uh Shakari.
0: Man, they are. They over
1: here doing my good sis. My Shakari, like they said, she had to came into ninth ninth place or tenth place or something. But that's you know. where
0: she came in, I going to say
1: fourth. Okay. Well, but that, that
0: was just like you know this past week. Recently, yeah. yeah. Uh huh. This past week.
1: Well, you know, but yeah, that's a really interesting concept too. Like. Yeah. Being thrown away and being we can discounted.
0: They'll cancel you and then we'll piggyback on the council and don't even know it.
1: And don't even know it because that's what's happening with Shikari.
0: I mean, like I gotta say, that's literally what it, like people don't realize it. That's what had happened with Colin Kaepernick.
1: But that's also what happened with Serena. I feel like I feel like people kind of was discounting her too in the midst of this.
0: Well, at least she got to dominate for like 15 years.
1: Okay, that's fine. You know what yeah. I'm saying? That's true. Like
0: she's she has a fortune, you know what I'm saying? Like real talking. I'm not saying she can't still play. I'm just saying like they couldn't come for her when she was winning, so they just did everything ugly in the media to talk about her. They want to paint her like a gorilla and all this type of stuff and a big bang. Yeah, I remember it wrong. I started crying at work one day.
1: You know what I'm saying? I don't even do that kind of stuff. Yeah. But I saw the cartoon that the yeah. Australian had. You know. Yeah. And then my coworker was was. I had a coworker who was saying, and she was just talking. You know what I'm saying? She was just talking. But she was like, she's so big, like a man. Dude. And I was thinking, no. <laughs> I was thinking, ma'am, And I just looked at the cartoon and I just started crying. Like, am I, am I cute? <laughs> just so like. So frustrated by the sentiment yeah. Yeah. it was it was very upsetting and it's like that's, very triggering for me that's
0: how they that's how they would do it you know what I'm saying I know with her her being soft-spoken and her showing that she has a sensitive side the way she like doesn't like the media as soon whenever they want to get ready to like throw darts at her and like crucify her they'll do it if she push if in if, their mind she pushes them to that living limit but Shakira, Shakira Richardson, the same thing. Same thing. You know, she's only ran like three races since they did you know, tested her positive for marijuana. And people of, you know, from our community, from other communities, and, you know, just went ham on her. And she's outspoken, so you know, she she gonna get every interview retweeted and shared. Mm-hmm. But you know what I'm saying, like real talk. You know, uh, she's still performing at a very high level. So if you you lose a race, just think about even her losing a race, she's still in the 1% of the world.
1: She can still outrun most of y'all. Most of y'all can't even get up. She can run
0: race, outrun. Like, I'm not going to say most of y'all. She can outrun all y'all. She can give all of y'all a head start and she can still outrun you. she
1: still beat you.
0: She can still beat you. She up there with the best athletes in the oh, world. Well. You the same
1: situation with Simone Biles is another exactly. one.
0: She took a break too. That's why, That's why, I, That's what I forgot about.
1: Yeah. They
0: both wanted to take breaks. Yeah. After, after Simone Biles, okay, greatest, you can look up the stats. She's the greatest American gymnast ever.
1: Yeah. Amazing.
0: She's got too many gold medals and won too much of everything.
1: Yeah.
0: So her taking a break and they tried to come down her Olympics because she wanted to pull out. We talking about self-care, self-care. And people still get mad at folks who like try to take care of themselves and their mental, and tell them go work. Imagine how much they tell you to just show up to work, even when you know you shouldn't be there.
1: So that was gonna be my. <laughs> so that was gonna be my second point. My first point was white media. Mm-hmm. But my second point was this all-encompassing idea about breaks and mental health and performance, and top performance, and productivity, yeah. which is a very, like, slave-driving dynamic, um, outside of, like, athleticism, because I feel like, and that dynamic athleticism is, is, a, is slightly different, and I'm gonna put my hat on another situation here, but, like, with, with, with athletes, they do get paid, like, a lot of money yeah. and the expectation is that like you know you are getting millions of dollars on the contract to do x y and z and so for you to be able to sort of take a break is 100% a privilege and you 100% deserve that but for the modern individual that's kind of suffering from this like performance fatigue mm-hmm. that's being expected to show up in spaces especially when we talk about spaces, spaces of like social justice and like the non non-profit non-profit industrial complex which we'll have to talk about one day um if we feel comfortable but uh, <laughs> when you ha- are expected to show up in these spaces we i'm thinking about the nurses and the doctors that are expected to show up every day during covid yeah. and so we're talking about performance fatigue you know what i'm saying um which people don't realize is a real thing because many people have just worked themselves w- far into, you know, into the deep end of, of retirement. And you work, I knew somebody, he worked until he literally worked until he died.
0: Mm. He was
1: in his mid 80s and he sold insurance and he was like pushing insurance to like my family. He was a family friend you know, and he was pushing insurance to everybody he could because he needed to perform to make money. Mm-hmm. And he literally died like selling insurance, you know what I'm saying? And so most of us are sort of on this trope of like performing at a top, at this top, the highest tier um, to our detriment. And we talk about like physical fatigue because like, it's, you know, you can physically wear your el- yourself out from a job just as much as you can like mentally wear yourself out from a job and many of us don't even have the luxury to take a break
0: yeah and that's like we were talking about it you know saying how retirement is is great you'll hear about it one day when we talk about retirement but uh, <laughs> we'll but, circle back we'll circle back but it's just like you know what I'm saying you got to realize just because they athletes and, you know, they're supposed to show up to the Olympics or the, or the U.S. Open or the French Open or something like that. And you like, you could show up for this one tournament, this one event. They're athletes. Some of y'all got problems just going to go work out one or two hours at the gym every day. They sit <laughs> in the gym every day religiously. That is their job every day. How
1: think about. You, think
0: they, you think that they sitting out there going to the gym right before the tournament start or before the, the Olympics? That's something they do every day. Part Their job is to stay fit and be at the highest level. Because you know what? When they show up and they ain't fit, you can see it all in their face and every, all parts of their body. And the media will come out and be like, we're surprised such and such showed up Usually they weigh around this amount of pounds, <laughs> and now they weigh this. Or if physically, they look like they really have taken a break from the sport. Yeah. Or they get injured. When they can't work out, they were like, she's working herself, and he's working herself back into a playing condition. Oh,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. You
0: know what I'm saying? They say this
1: stuff. I mean, it'd be the... To me, for me, it'd be the dietary restrictions. I'd be like, oh, you mean to tell me you can't eat but two ounces of rice and um, uh, four ounces of chicken breast?
0: Look at a boxer. <laughs> Look at a boxer. they <laughs> They be minus 7% zero body fat, and then you be over to talk. Look, what they do before the match, the whole time I didn't make any money because they ain't made it to the major part of boxing. They train with you, and you pay them to train you. They they ain't Mike Tyson or Floyd Mayweather yet.
1: No,
0: not yet. <laughs> so so I'm not even trying to be funny. I'm just saying. So part of they how they make their money because they are a professional fighter is they train you throughout the week and you go up in there and hit the gloves with them, hit the hit the uh, hit the heavy bag and hit the speed bag with them for an hour or two a week and you pay them for that. Yeah. And they and, and they actually working and training
1: and starving. I would be sitting at home looking like, well, how skinny? It. It's so funny because you be looking at the, the people trying and you be like, Lord, how so much smaller do you want to be, you know, while you reaching for for me, be reaching for a bag of Cheetos. I be like, ah, yeah, damn. <laughs> You have how much smaller do you want to be, girl, when I go That's get this little pint of ice cream
0: over here? <laughs> it, it, it's a way of life, but it's also their job to do that.
1: It's their part of their job. Yeah, it's their job. ice cream, they got no cheat days. I
0: know for a boxer, you gotta stay. You ain't what well, they live by that. You ain't gotta get ready when you stay ready. Because mm-hmm. you never know when that opportunity is gonna pop up for them, you know, to get that big fight. You never really know unless you on. When you ain't especially when you ain't at the top of the car. A boxer get injured, and this, it, and it's, they've been promoting the fight for three months, and then they get injured two weeks before the fight. They're not canceling the fight, it's too much money in the fight. They got to yeah. find another boxer to take that fight and hype it up as much. But they need to hype it up, and they need to make sure that you're ready to fight because it's like you got to prepare for those opportunities. Yeah, so, so my closing, I'm just gonna say this right here shout out to Naomi Osaka, shout out to her. Uh, why be in Corday, or just Corday now? You know, a boyfriend, man, they some young, uh, they some young leaders in hip hop and in tennis. And you know what I'm saying? <laughs> uh, and even though Booey don't know what I'm talking about,
1: <laughs> I you, don't know about the boyfriend's Harry.
0: Oh, uh, yeah, Corday, he one of the dopest uh, rappers because yeah, you don't listen to rap like I do. <laughs> okay. Uh, but you know what I'm saying? Don't let them cancel her because. She got uh, a place she wanna be in this world where she wants to see social change. Don't let you don't let them counsel her because she has determined her social, economic, and political destiny. And she's socially aware. And don't let them counsel her because she said, Hey, I need a break. i my, my head ain't in this sport right now. I ain't retiring, but I got other things I need to do right now to take care of myself because we counsel people all the time. Uh, not not uh, famous people, I, I mean, we do counsel them too. Well, we counsel people in our lives sometimes because we don't know what they got going on. And then we got you to run understand.
1: back,
0: yeah, we don't understand. Then we got to run it back and be like, I wish you understand would've said something to me. I had no idea. Well, you know, give people some, give people some space, give them some lenience, man. You know what I'm saying? Let them know, you know what I'm saying? Let them know that like, whenever you're ready, you know, you come chop it up with me. But, you know, give people space and uh, respect that and, uh, you know, just uh, be mindful of that with your own life too, man. Self-care, you know?
1: Self-care. Don't be in everybody's business. That would be the other part. Yeah. Like, you know, like what's for you is for you. What's for them is for them. So you don't got to worry about it.
0: What's going on with you, Bowie? I know I took a lot of time talking about sports and Naomi.
1: Yeah, we, no, sports is definitely your thing. I have a very only human interest philosophy around sports. So, you know, sorry.
0: You um, but- have to apologize for being you. I'm not going to cancel <laughs> you.
1: Oh, thanks. <laughs> so I was really saddened a week ago to, to find out that one of my favorite actors in the whole entire world um, had passed away. And that actor is Michael Kenneth Williams. Man. Um, he was most notably known for playing Omar
0: yeah. in
1: the wire in this amazing series called The Wire.
0: Yeah.
1: It was a series about a,
0: about a wire.
1: About, ba- <laughs> a yeah. wire, you know, uh plan or scheme yeah. in Baltimore. Yeah, the Baltimore drug trade along with yeah. the
0: law enforcement uh, you know caps on what was going on.
1: <laughs> yeah. A really good show. I think I watch it like every year.
0: The I watch The Wire at least an episode, some some episodes a month. Okay. The greatest show in television history in my opinion. I would agree. One, one of the most one of the best written shows, I'll say
1: I was gonna say it's very literary. And for me, like show the shows are great when they are literary and that is definitely like The, the, hell in, out their, of the Wire. in their writing. Mm-hmm. Um, but then also the actors and thus sort of circling back around to so Michael K. Williams was an incredible force on yeah. the TV screen. Yeah. Um everything from like his delivery mm-hmm. to like his aesthetic, um, his chemistry with the other actors and actresses, mm-hmm. um, the way he just was able to portray um, these characters on the screen was some of the most amazing actors I have ever seen. Like, and we're talking about, we put him up against, I mean, Denzel.
0: Mm.
1: We could put him up against, I would say almost anybody. I can't even name a whole bunch of people like that. But yeah, we could put him up against lots of people and his portrayal of, he Omar. understood the assignment.
0: He played Omar. I definitely agree. One of the, um, one of the greatest characters, man, written into a television series because the character just had so many different layers. So many layers. Um, just um man, you know, like, you know what I'm saying? He brought the character, like he became that character, literally. He did on the show. Like it was like, man, you saw him other in other things you still like, man. You know, Omar in this movie. You know what I'm saying? Omar yeah. doing this now, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> They're like, man. Didn't even
1: know, people didn't even know his name for so long. But it that's was just Omar. But
0: that's how like uh originally he wasn't even supposed to like go past
1: season one. Oh, okay. I didn't realize that.
0: Yeah, he was supposed to get killed in season one, but people liked his character so much in season one that the writers was like, we gotta let him
1: stay in there longer than this. Now we, he if I, if he would have got killed in season one, there would be no way that I would watch The Wire for the rest of the season.
0: No, nah, it because he
1: really helped to make the season.
0: What what's my girl that that died in Orange? Orange is the new black. Uh, the black girl.
1: She died in real life.
0: No, she died in Orange is the new black. No, I have no idea. Okay, I, we'll go ahead and keep on talking. About I'm, I'm, if she would have died in season one, it would have been like when the old girl died in Orange is the new black. Because we were be like, <laughs> be, I'm done watching it.
1: Yeah, so so I just want to kind of run through like we could, I could, I could personally talk about Omar all day because you know that was his most notable um, character, okay. mm-hmm. but he was in so many movies and in mm-hmm. so many shows. Um, he was in Twelve Years a Slave. He was in Boardwalk Empire.
0: He played um Chalky White. Pause.
1: Okay. I was talking
0: about Pusey. Orange is the new black. When Pusey died, man, y'all knew, y'all knew, y'all was done with Orange is the new black. Uh, I was. which one? Who who played Puse? Uh Her name was Samira Wiley. Oh. Okay. She was like a lovable character on there because she Got was like, it. she seemed like super innocent and sweet. Got it. And she was black. Okay. And I was like, y'all kill sweet black girl. You y'all know right. what? We done the while. But Omar oh, was totally different, but go ahead. I'm sorry.
1: So <laughs> he played um, Chalky White in um, Boardwalk Empire. And Boardwalk Empire was a really good character, yeah. which I'm going to have to watch that over again. And some of these throws, I'm not going to lie, I ain't seen. So I ain't going to read them all.
0: Yeah, I, I saw Boardwalk Empire for sure.
1: He played Montrose in Lovecraft Country.
0: Yeah. Um, I got something to say about that. Okay.
1: It's, it's it's, uh, it's what was the show? What was the,
0: he played? He he played a father and when they see us. Yeah, he played the father and when they see us of uh I think it was Antron, the one that mm-hmm. he was like uh basically telling him like go in there and tell him and say something, man, because he had went to prison and he didn't want his son to go to prison and he actually messed this up, messed him up because he went in there and told him to, and like basically incriminate himself
1: um he played a character in this show um Happen Leonard I don't know if you ever saw it no. Happy Leonard was this strange it was a strange show I think it came on like FX or something mm-hmm. but it was but you should watch it mm-hmm. um Happen Leonard he played a character in Happy Leonard he played he was he on Brooklyn uh Brooklyn's Finest
0: I could never get through that movie, man. Okay. I fall asleep in the movie all the time. I don't know. I think he was. He might have been the. I think
1: he played a villain in Brooklyn's Finance. I know.
0: I know he was in this movie called Bullet. Uh, Bullet. Yeah. Oh, it was his first one. Of his first acting roles. Bullet. It was Tupac was in that movie. He played Tupac's younger brother, Hot. Oh, on top. wow. So go watch Bullet if you see that on any platform, because he
1: that was like one of his first acting roles. He plays like Tupac's younger brother. Um, he was in Bessie with Queen Latifah. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't remember where he played. And then he plays. Then he played Ricky Ross and Kill the Messenger, which was the show about Free Ray Ricky Ross. You know the the drug the drug lord. What's the and, name of this show? It's called Kill the Messenger. It's on Netflix. Oh yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, I think and I so have seen that. I want to talk about more about what I know. To be true about his life and about his work, man. but I know you say you have other stuff to say.
0: Oh no, man. I, I mean, um, I don't know if you're gonna mention any of the stuff that I say. So
1: I know, so I don't know if you're gonna mention. So I'm like, that. I did a whole lot
0: of talking already. <laughs> okay. So I so I'll just piggyback if you say something okay. that I was gonna say.
1: So so what I like the most about Michael K. Williams was his brutal honesty Mm -hmm. he's one of the most honest people I've ever seen not only in his films and his the shows that he was in but just in his personal life he talked about you know growing up in Brooklyn and struggling with drug addiction he was a, a very from what I understood a very religious individual which is which always like tugs in my heartstrings because I grew up in a very religious household and religion holds a very interesting place in my life. And so people that sort of like understand religion and talk about religion and still use religion as like a coping mechanism is always very interesting to me. And he's one of those people. Um, Because he was from Brooklyn and he like saw a lot of hardships in, in the environment that he grew up he really decided to give back to um, to that community but then there's as a community as a whole he did a lot of work around prison reform and a lot of work around um, drug rehabilitation. And you know outside of like all of the amazing like fictional shows that he did, what really captured my heart about his work was this, Docu series that he participated in called Black Market, mm. and it came on Vice Lands or on Vice TV, depending on what what your cable provider situation is. And, and it was one of the most beautiful docu series I have ever seen in my life. What is it
0: on? You can go look at it. Again.
1: It's on Vice Land or Vice TV.
0: Okay, Vice Land Vice
1: okay. And it's called Black Market. And it's a personal project that he basically took on, you know, pitched it to the owner of Black Market. And he, based it and he utilized it to humanize the Black Market nature or the underbelly um, community in, in all of greater society. Mm-hmm. So I think it was like four or five episodes. I've seen them all. And I've seen them multiple times but my favorite episode was where he went to new jersey and he talked to these individuals who were um essentially like carjackers and they were criminal criminals like these weren't like your average you know what i'm saying like pick popping like filling the candy bar from the stove type of situation like these were criminals like these men got on camera and they were not even showing their faces type criminals and he the scene i remember the most was he walked into like sort of a trap house situation in new jersey and he like hugged every man in there like dapped them up like hugged them it was like it's love like they was like he was like the cameraman with me (laughs) he was like don't worry (laughs) like don't worry about it like it's all good the cameraman like they with me like y'all straight like I would never kind of like betray you and he kind of disarmed these men and when you walk when you see the cameraman like walking into the space it's all these weapons like semi-automatic weapons is drugs and stuff laying all over the place and like he was so disarming as an individual but he was so relatable as an individual and that's how he was able to capture like the humanity of this the this part the part of the society that represents the underbelly mm-hmm. so we're talking about people that's like hijacking cars like people that have assaulted like individuals to mm-hmm. like gain access to their property but he was bringing like a human element to these people and he was bringing bringing that element and broadcasting it and telling a story about that element on a national platform yeah one of my most favorite docu series so he talks about you know the the the, um, the hijacking situation in in Jersey there's a series about um. um Poaching in South Africa. So, you know, poaching is a, is an ordeal that you could look it up, you know, it's a commodity, uh, what is it? Endangered species yeah. being killed for things like ivory or their fur. And it's a very, it's a black market uh, com, commerce or mm-hmm. commodity. And so he went to South Africa and talked talk to these fishermen that were poachers. Um, he went to another city i can't remember where but he talked about um guns like like the black market um commerce like supply chain of people buying and selling guns you know um everything from like where they get the guns to like sawing off the 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 serial number of the gun Um, he went to houston and you know met with people to discuss the um, the lean supply chain. Like people that, oh. that you know, find and purchase and use lean. Yeah, coding um, and all that. Coding and all of that. And he talked about um illegal gambling in New York City. And then he talked about drug dependency. I gotta
0: watch this series, man. Yo,
1: like you have to watch but it. But it's not on like Amazon Prime I don't or know. Hulu. I like the- I'm sure if I'm sure you could search it. Now, you may have to purchase it on Prime yeah, or I something, but if you have cable and, you know, if Viceland is a part of your cable and you have, like, on demand, you can find it that way. Okay. But-
0: Black Market.
1: Black Market. Michael K. Williams is the host. He goes around the world to talk about the underbelly of society and humanizes these situations in the most beautiful way I've ever seen in my entire life. I cry every time I watch every episode. <laughs> it's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. I'm just grateful to have known about it and to have followed him and you know learn about his story. And really sad that he won't be able to you know produce more. But that's very selfishly of me to say such a thing.
0: Man, that, yeah, it, uh, <laughs> no, it's 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 crazy, man. Like. The last time I saw him on um, on TV was for the DMX tribute on oh, the BUT yeah. Awards. And everybody was like, if they ever do a biopic on DMX, who's going to play him? And people were like, man, it's got to be Michael K. Williams. And then, bam, he popped up with the Rough Riders and other people who upped up there tribute him on the BUT Awards. Um, Oh, no, I'm sorry, not to beat you, for his funeral. I'm, I'm sorry, for the funeral. Was
1: funeral?
0: Yeah, you know All they right. televised Dmx funeral. Yeah, I remember. And I'm pretty sure that was his funeral where he did it at, you know what I'm saying? I know I saw it. I thought yeah. I saw it at your house. You My did bad. see it, but, <laughs> you know, I
1: kind of blocked the whole Dmx thing out of yeah. the mind. Not a thing for me.
0: But Michael Michael <laughs> K. Williams so dope, man, you know what I'm saying? What when I, when I loved about his character in... Um, the wire he was the he was a stick up kid the stick up artist in the, in the wire who uh basically just robbed the drug dealers like yeah he, <laughs> he didn't mess with nobody but the drug dealers that's all he did was rob drug dealers yeah and it was like it was it wasn't it was a risky and dangerous game but at the same time it was also fruitful and uh not as risky as some other things because it's like what drug dealers gonna say hey Somebody just robbed me of he all my drugs. You right. can't call the police in the situations. And he studied it. He studied them. He never used profanity as Omar. You know, mm-hmm. you always imagine somebody robbing, like, stick your motherfucking hands there. Get the fuck out on the ground. <laughs> and he, man, we got to put the, the explicit episode on this warning. <laughs> uh, but he never, you already used GD, so I, we good, because you was like, yeah. But, uh, <laughs> But he never uh, used profanity. He he talked and uh, he whistled the farmer. The very literary.
1: Yeah. yeah.
0: He was like he was like that. Like he had like a real conscious to him. He did. And he was like Oh, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, indeed. Like, oh he's like you. He know. whistled in the farmer in the dill as he as he come yeah. to get you <laughs> with his
1: shotgun on <laughs>
0: with his shoulder, his shotgun and his bulletproof vest on his trench coat. <laughs> In, in his cornrows.
1: In his cornrows.
0: But I, I love that when you gonna say something.
1: <laughs> I was just gonna say when he was in one scene where he was trying to stick up somebody and he was asking them where it where it was, like, where's that? Like he would never <laughs> he would never say like where are the drugs? He's just like where it's at. And then he was and then in one scene where he was asking for it and he was like, the guy was just standing there and he goes, Oh, so you don't value my time. <laughs> Oh, you don't value my time, and it was yeah. just like, he "Yo, has some he, has
0: right. <laughs> he has some quotables. He said, "If you come for the king, you best not miss." <laughs> <laughs> that, would let, that would let you know some of them. old some of them East Coast cats, man. They got a lot of country in them. They had a lot
1: of country, and he was so country to me to be a Baltimore dude.
0: They some country people in Baltimore. They really are. They be, they be like, "Yes, Lord, yes, Lord." You know what I'm saying? They got the East Coast. Uh, culture to him, but they got a lot of Southern stuff. But, you know, think about the great migration. Everybody's going to the Everybody's East Coast.
1: The East.
0: But it was his character was such a, 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 a groundbreaking character because he was a tough guy that was also homosexual. Yeah. And, you know, I think people a lot of people were tripped out by that in the first season, seeing him uh, be introduced as the tough guy sticking up people. And then all of a sudden, oh, man, he, he's homosexual, too. But uh, through Uh, like, the seasons or whatever, you saw his character, like, he never, like, his character never swayed from either. It was like, man, the more people talked about him, he was more tougher, he became more infamous, and he also became, he was still that guy that was homosexual, same time, they kept on showing both sides of it, and I always felt like, I was like, I would watch it, and I would watch um, different roles he would get, I was like wondering, was he ever going to be typecasted mm-hmm. from The Wire as being the tough guy or being a homosexual guy or both? And he actually played a tough guy a lot. And he played a homosexual a couple of times, too. Right. But the interesting thing that I found out years later, and I'm glad that I did because it was like, man, it shows you his heart and where, how, where he came from as an actor. Man, you know, so he, like, of course, uh, Bowie mentioned it earlier, he came from New York and he has that visible scar on his face that everybody associated with. And he was so determined, like after school and stuff like that, to be an actor to the point where he was homeless on the street in New York for a long time. And what he did was he was a dancer before he became an actor. yeah. And he would go visit like studios, And Ricollet was trying to get jobs as a a dancer. And he ended up getting into a a bar fight in his uh, early 20s. Yeah. And somebody hit him with the razor out of the mouth. You know, some real old school stuff. To have a (laughs) razor in your jaw.
1: stuck in your cheek. In your jaw.
0: And then somebody want to fight you. like, what? You just grab your mouth and you just slice some buck 50 from the side of one neck to the other side. Lunatic, <laughs> <laughs> lunatic, but they do it. In, they do it in prison all the time. I mean, they do, they do it at the club here in Little Rock too? For what I
1: understand, I've so. seen,
0: I've <laughs> seen, I've seen a couple of buck fifties to people's faces and necks, man. <laughs> for what
1: I understand,
0: but in but what I found out recently would just explain. It would like bring his character, make it more real. During the period of homelessness and he was looking for jobs, stuff like that, he was actually associated with the House of Ebony. Now, the House of Ebony uh was a ballroom house in New York City. And so people don't really understand the ball scene, ballroom scene culture. And I'm not gonna claim to be an expert on it because I know I'm not. Yeah. But I'll just say go watch Paris is burning. And I think I said that on a on a podcast before. If I haven't, I'm telling you now I Sorry. watch I, I watched Paris is burning probably in 20, I'm gonna say 20 13 or 14, didn't know what I was watching. I just saw a DVD at the library and I picked it up. And man, I started seeing stuff in that documentary that just made me be like, so this is what this person got inspired from. This is what this person got inspired from. Beyonce is a Paris and burning uh, child. Yeah, She, she got a whole routine for them. But they say that, man, uh, back in the day, from what I hear from some like like sources and things that he was actually known as Michael Ebony back in the day from the House of Ebony, which was like one of the first big houses on a ballroom scene. And that's where, uh, one thing I say about ballroom scene in New York City back in the day, the whole art of voguing and uh, comes from the ballroom scene. And so like knowing that he was actually a part of one of those houses back in the day, because like I said, House Ebony is one of the original houses Uh, man, you know what I'm saying? The whole, uh, him being comfortable and showing love to all people from all walks of life. It wasn't something that, you know what I'm saying, uh, people should be peculiar about. It's like, man, he was actually living on the streets. Because people who know, like the ballroom scene, those houses were havens for kids and adults mm-hmm. who came out to their parents, people they were living with and said finally come out the closet saying yeah I'm homosexual and they were getting kicked out of the house or some were like uh, addicted and yeah. needed a place to stay and these house mothers would let them in there and then you know help them get off drugs, find employment. but on the weekends those those shows the ballroom scene would be like just flat out like an ordeal from like you know 7 to 8 p.m on Saturday night. To 5 a.m., 6 a.m. in the morning, and they voguing, and that's the whole culture right there. And so that leads into him after that getting his first job as a choreographer on uh, you know, the singer Crystal Waters. He choreographed a video, a video, 100% Pure Love, and you can actually see him dancing in the video. He's the middle guy dancing in between two other guys, and uh, he choreographed the whole video, and and it just show you, like, he came in the game as a dancer. He had love for the hip-hop scene and the music scene because he grew up with, like, clean of the teeth, and he saw that stuff, too. But he, want, he knew he wasn't going to be no rapper, so he came in the game straight up as, like, I'm a dancer, I'm me. He embr- he's, He he never said that he was, like, homosexual or, he, you know, saying anything, but he said he embraced, the uh the ballroom scene in the lgbt community because he enjoyed the freedom it gave to him express his art through dance yeah and so that's how he ended up being in one of the houses and all of that stuff this is like all documented in interviews uh but it was just like great to see like man you talk about a career from uh the mid early 90s all the way to now and how he's impacted a culture of acting all the way up to uh that's why I thought the scene in Lovecraft Country was so powerful. His most known character, you mentioned a lot of movies he was in, but his most, most known character will always be Omar. Yeah. The uh, openly gay stick-up artist, most mm-hmm. feared villain slash hero in The Wire. Mm-hmm. In Lovecraft Country, in one of those episodes, Or I admit that I wasn't a big Lovecraft Country fan, but I watched it. It was just a lot going on in Love Country. <laughs> but there's a scene in there where he goes to the club and he dances with the drag queen, queens and he just oh, yeah. like totally goes through this whole solo dance performance. And it's like, he was like going at his son so crazy in that, but then he does this scene where he just like, let's go, let's free in Lovecraft Country. And then, uh, you know, finding out later, in Lovecraft Country, Lovecraft Country from the interviews and stuff like that. He had a relapse during that. And he had to work through that, through the support of his, uh you know, through the support of his supporting cast in that. He had to work through that. There's a video with him, Andrew Ellis, and Courtney B. Vance, where they were basically like, they knew he had, you know, slipped up. Oh, and they all like, like Andrew Ellis is crying, he's crying. Courtney B. Vance is like, praising God, like, you know, you know, you went through that, but we we was here for you. He was like, you know, he just broke down a minute cause he was like the support and the love he got from the cast. And so it was just, it just made him so much more real to me. And no wonder I liked this character so much because like when you become these characters, man, if you know anybody that's a serious actor or actress and they do this, man, becoming a character is not just memorizing those lines man, he had people calling him Omar Damn it, the whole time he was on the wire. <laughs> he was Omar.
1: Yeah. Real life. Period.
0: Same thing with people who, like, engulf themselves and get into their art form. They get all the way into it a lot of times with, to the point where you just be like, snap out of it, and they just can't snap out of it. And I hate the way that, you know what I'm saying, he passed, but the testimonials... The tributes, everything like that, man, been so beautiful, man. He uh, he touched so many lives through his art form and his friendship and just the way he was. Yeah. So uh, salute RIP, Rest in Power to Michael K. Williams. We might not be done talking to him, but I'm talking about him, or something, But I'm just saying, man. No, totally. I say that.
1: Yeah, I um to the point about, and I guess we have to pivot to be talking about that whole thing. But yeah, the point about the actors that come into this role, Heath Leisure. you know, I mean, this made the platform for this individual, but, you know, he, <laughs> <laughs> we keep the black over around this way, yeah, but... <laughs> no apology, <Nina. laughs> It's in the title. Right, but Heath Leisure was another example, like he, you know, when he played Joker, Apparently going into this really dark, like supernatural character took him into a place that he didn't really want to be. I think he was another person who had struggled yeah. with, you know, drug use and, you know, the, some accounts were saying he was trying to just, he was, he was um, intentionally trying to kill himself. But then the other accounts were saying that he was just wanting to go to sleep because, this his transformation into the whole joker character kept him up and he couldn't sleep and so he was using you know Mm self-medicating mechanisms to go to bed Mm -hmm. um and then ultimately like you know they they were fatal so i guess the conversation about like drug use i don't know if it's always warranted you know what i mean like every time someone dies. Well, and then also with Michael Payne-Williams, nobody we still don't really know because the accounts haven't really come out. Everything's about what what they see and what they assume to be true, mm-hmm. but we do know to be true that he did struggle with addiction. Yeah. and You, you know, talked we, about
0: cocaine addiction. Yeah. And we know that like a lot of cocaine deaths have been leaked to uh, fentanyl. To
1: fentanyl. Yeah. Yeah. And we talk about addiction on this show a lot. To me, I have a keen... Interest in addiction. I don't really know why. It uh, honestly really interests me, you know. To to I think it's because we are all addicted to we something. We all have some sort of addiction. Yeah, we
0: all have an addiction, but at the same time, it's like everybody addiction uh, may or addiction may or may not kill you. Mm-hmm. But you understand, like after everybody should understand, when somebody can't, like can't resist the urge to just do something. Right, I think everybody should understand
1: that. I feel like everybody should understand that, but then I think that there is so much of society that acts like they don't understand. And it's just like even if it's something as simple as like, you want ice cream and you know you shouldn't have it. Well, I mean, but
0: and that's the thing I, I feel like everybody should understand. Sugar addiction.
1: Sugars. For sure. Some of
0: you people wake up every morning and you need your coffee with your sugar. You need your Coke to get you your need day going. Yeah. You, need, you need that boost in you. Oh, a Red Bull or something to get you going. Now, try to go without that for 30 days. And, and try to but,
1: show up and do your responsibility. And
0: track your behavior. Mm-hmm. Track how many outbursts you have. Track if you get sick. Just out of nowhere, for no reason, like, you just feel bad. Yeah. You're getting headaches. Yeah. the track all that type of stuff. Because I think people, like, try to downplay relapse so much. Like, he chose to do that. Man, he was getting high. This is what he wanted to do. But do you know what it feel like to just go leave something alone, cold turkey? Right. That you've been using for yo, for, like, this amount of time? Yeah. I'm sorry. I just had to say something about yeah. that.
1: Me too. And the conversation about like sober living is also in like. Granted, I know people from on both ends of the spectrum. I know mm-hmm. people that used to be addicts that are now one hundred percent sober. And mm-hmm. I have conversations with those people, and I commend those people. It's something that I love to see. If 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 an addiction was taking you down through there, where well, you had to steal, rob, kill, whatever. To get your to get your fix, mm-hmm. and you come out on the other end of that. I think that's a beautiful testimony. But any
0: addict will tell you, once an addict, always an addict.
1: But I okay,
0: and they will yes. they will let you know how easily you can slip you can back. Slip back. It's, it happened just like that. Somebody died, and then right you're just that. like the oh, only way you're gonna feel so like that. You know, addiction is something that is real. When you, I mean. I mean, we can't even talk. I'm not even gonna get deep off into like what addictions are, but think about the stuff that you do routinely, religiously, traditionally, whatever that you just know you can't stop. It make going. you
1: feel good because that's the other. Yeah,
0: thing. like you want to pop an Ambien because you want to go to sleep, and you, you think that deep sleep. You want a deep sleep, but you think every time you lay down, I got to do this before I go to sleep, right? And you ain't thinking nothing about it, but because it's,
1: pres- it's prescribed,
0: it's prescribed from your doctor. But 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 naturally,
1: <laughs> this is what
0: you haven't done before that.
1: But but yeah, you didn't have a prescription for it. You'd be sitting up here looking crazy.
0: Yeah. So now you got to make a choice. Yeah. Sugar is a drug. People don't really think about a lot of times. You need your little chocolate. You need your little cokes. You need all type of stuff. Sodas, everything. And when you don't get it, how do you act? I've seen people blow up because they can't eat something right there, right now. (laughs) And then come down to eat, oh, I just need something to eat. And then don't realize how silly and stupid they did act before that. Can you really sit there and say there's much different from you and a junkie, other than the fact that you maintained your house and paid your bills for the month.
1: I mean, other than the fact that you can go to the grocery store and pick up your your whatever it is that you need.
0: We know functioning people do a lot of things on, on a lot of different things. On a
1: lot of different things, and I think for me, for me, that is the takeaway. A couple yeah. of things. Don't be having no conversation with people about sober living if you don't. If you can't get. If you can't come down to where they are and understand what it is they're experiencing. Impressive. Because the other thing too is like not everybody that's an addict is unhappy. I think oh, yeah. we have to sort of get to that. Point. And this is maybe just my philosophy. Now I studied drug addiction and I only know from what I experience and who I talk to. Uh, but me personally, I don't feel like people that have addictions are unhappy.
0: Megan, can I say this real quick? Sure. In the 70s, disco era.
1: Yeah.
0: They was talking about cocaine like it was just straight partying. Right. And everybody was having a good
1: time. They caught when, it up with for a reason.
0: Hey, when nobody died, they were talking about orgies. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I just watched that Rick James documentary. I
1: need to watch it.
0: They didn't have nothing sad to say about they, <laughs> about, about they about their partying days. What they got, what 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 happened was, in the documentary, they was just like, they started finding out the, the fix of cocaine. OK. And then they looked at Rick James in the early 90s and was like,
1: you still doing this? <laughs> Man, we ain't doing this no more. Do you know what cocaine does to your brain? They, they was just
0: like, dude, you addicted. You <laughs> were ruining everything. We was kicking it. We was having sex and making money, all type of stuff. Right,
1: right. Dude. Being creative, doing And
0: making hits. They was like, dude, you ain't made no
1: hits. Oh, no.
0: The, the the quality of the women that you're getting is getting lower and lower. They was top tier. Now they, they low grade.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Hey, we didn't took. We don't have no braids in our head no more. We don't wear them outfits no more. Your nipple's still showing through the sequin shirt you got on. Wow. We don't do that no more either.
1: And you still on the powder.
0: You doing all that, and you on that powder. And you tooting the powder, and you beating people. <laughs> Getting arrested. The, the the police couldn't even touch us back when we was tooting that powder together. <laughs> they went, that that that's that what they were saying basically. Man, go listen to Levi Ruffin Go li- listen to Levi Ruffin I- yeah. <laughs> Levi Ruffin was like He was like, man, I ain't doing this no more He was like he, I, Go listen to Levi Ruffin He explained it because he was the keyboardist in the band Okay But he it was perfect because he was there at the late 70s, all through the 80s And into the early 90s And he yeah. was basically like, man That addiction is taking you over You Damn. used to be doing it for fun And yeah. now you're doing it out of habit
1: so then, that's what that's what I'm trying to explain. Yeah,
0: go ahead. I think I'm sorry. When,
1: In the early stages, and and maybe and maybe that's the thing. Like maybe the thing is that in the early stages, it is about fun, and then you start going through there, and you use it as a coping mechanism. I don't, and it hurts your know.
0: livelihood too.
1: And it hurts your livelihood. But I think that we shouldn't just assume that like people that choose to engage in drug use are unhappy you know like I said they call the drug they call some drugs uppers for a reason when I I know I do a lot of stuff when I feel happy when I feel happy I want a cocktail I want to you know I want to see my friends I want to feel like adrenaline like I'm high off of good news or happiness or whatever but I want to be quote-unquote higher And not to say that I'm like higher off of drugs, but higher off of whatever it is that takes me higher. So
0: and so the thing about addiction is this right here. It does like when you're not doing the things, does it alter your mood? I'm not talking to you. I'm talking about just in general. Does it alter your mood? And when when you do it to the point, uh, I think, through addiction where, you know, saying you're happy or whatever mood you're in. The mood that you're searching for, you can't get there unless you use that particular substance. That's that's what this was all about. It's like, you might not have started out being like uh, sad or anything like that, you just did it for fun but now you can't ever have a fun day or ever be happy unless you, you, unless do, you that. do that. Yes. Yeah, and, and that's what that's it goes to. Yeah. The
1: addiction is, that's I guess the definition of addiction. Yeah, most definitely. You know, I don't. We don't flip it though. No. We're just over here, the views over here that are expressed by us is not the views of the uh, most notable academic diary or journal.
0: Well, I just, I'll, just, <laughs> I, I'll just say, man, I mean, you know, Uh, (laughs) um the streets will tell you so and and
1: this is where i like to get now i am i feel like i'm a very you know astute individual but i love to get my information from the streets because they're going to tell you straight like it is and you're going to learn lots of life lessons that can take you very far yeah. so the street like you said the street to tell you and i believe that wholeheartedly so that's where i be that's where my yeah. ear be to the streets
0: uh you keep your ear to the streets because you know what i'm saying that's what it is yeah but. but
1: as you mentioned race in peace race in power race in paradise to michael kenneth williams he's he's he was incredible and his work will forever live on he's yeah. been immortalized in Man. more ways than one and i
0: just just respect his legacy everything like that but man, we gotta like, I just shared some stuff with Bowie on this podcast that she didn't even know about. Man, mm-hmm. we need somebody out there who loved him, and had loved him to like, you know, write some type of book, the do book some type of play. Or
1: something. Yeah, if
0: it's a, I, I really want to go see the play, because I feel like a movie. I would not
1: reading the book, but
0: yeah, the, I, but I, unless he was writing part of the writing of the book, yeah. I don't want to see it. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I will read it, but I'm just saying. But I'm just like, man, somebody got to know more about him and they want to show them different sides to him. But even if not, man, we're still going to pre- He's one of the greatest actors that I've ever seen
1: in my life. And The Wire going to be on repeat for me forever and always and all the episodes
0: from Omar's present. The most messed up part about it was I was watching The Wire the day The Wire the night before he uh, passed, I found out he died. And I was watching the episode uh, when he went to go testify against <laughs> uh, homie Bird with the gun.
1: Yeah, and I was
0: like, it was so funny. He told him to get dressed up. and all he just put on was a was a tie. <laughs> and it was like, dude, that's how the hood people do. Like, I gotta come court. I gotta wear
1: something.
0: <laughs> Let me just throw on this tie. I need you know. the tie right. It's all
1: crooked. Nah, it's, <laughs>
0: You not know how to tie no tie, man. Somebody got to actually teach you how to tie, tie Sometimes. ties.
1: Oh, I'm so man. glad I
0: learned because I probably would have been just out here looking ridiculous. I would love to see you in a tie. I can't wait to that
1: day. Um, you I've missed,
0: never seen
1: you wear a tie.
0: You missed so many
1: opportunities.
0: That's what it was. <laughs> you didn't come to this event or that event.
1: Great.
0: I'll I'll send you some pictures when I had a tie on. That should work. Yeah, Whatever. <laughs> Anyway,
1: I know. Well, was there anything else? I, I don't. There's no. <laughs>
0: okay, none of that tonight.
1: No, we're gonna do that, but before that.
0: Oh no! Um.
1: There I just, else going on? Any like public service announcement or social justice initiatives? Were anything? In-
0: um. Oh, <laughs> well, let me be activist real quick. <laughs> after just digging in my bag and my emotions about Michael K. Williams. Yay. um, I'll just say, man, you know, uh, be on the lookout for all things as a matter of black because we are going to be uh, expanding the brand uh, to do more. Share. Okay. We can share. We can share. We're going to share it with you all tonight. But, uh, you know what I'm saying, be on the lookout for that. And be on the lookout for some uh, things in the future that we're going to be doing. We're going to definitely start talking about some hip-hop with you guys, Uh, our goat conversations, our not-goats, and uh, some albums and things of that nature. And we're going to be talking about some lifestyle choices that people have made, too, as well. In particular, people who um, decide to uh, let other people control their lives. Okay. And so we'll be talking about that as well and i'm speaking it into existence because we've been talking about it for so long (laughs) but
1: yes okay well so happy you guys could join us we are just about ready we're actually we are actually here ready now yeah most definitely to do our most coveted segment of the show and that's called for ingredients yeah
0: yeah so everybody that shares this make sure you hashtag um First off, make sure you tag me and Bowie yeah. in your shares, and yeah. then off top, you know, saying so we get to the four ingredients portion, make sure you hit hashtag beer review, beer lovers, beer nerds, all that type of stuff. Share with the people. Let us let them know that we always have some uh, creative and informative talk about our suds.
1: <laughs> yeah. So we're ready for um, our four ingredients this episode. We call it four ingredients.
0: Four ingredients. It
1: takes four major, mega, amazing ingredients to make a beer, and that's water, barley, hops, and yeast. Yeah. And today we're drinking a Sweetwater Brewing Company extra pale ale, 420. twenty. Let's go. It say,
0: "Don't float the mainstream, whatever that means." Do you know what that means? Don't float the mainstream. Um, what I take from that is yeah. whatever's going on in the mainstream, man, uh, ride right against that current.
1: Okay. So yeah, we be can... you.
0: Continue to be yourself, and the only way to be free is to have the opportunity to grow and feel as free as you can be.
1: So this is a pale ale. It say it's got a OG PLL.
0: Fresh, OG Pale
1: L? OG Pale L fresh flavor. It's well balanced.
0: OG. <laughs>
1: and it is like, if you know, you know. Okay. Uh, 5.7 ABV is brewed out of Georgia. Um.
0: Okay. So you okay. So Atlanta, actually. You was you were Atlanta frequent flyer. So
1: yeah. So I'm gonna pour mine.
0: And then you can have the rest. All right. I'll tell you when to stop. Oh. Go ahead. Get a little bit more. <laughs> okay.
1: All right. Okay. That's, all right.
0: <laughs> so shout out to Sweetwater. Um, I'm going to tag them when we uh, do this um, Twitter release.
1: We like Sweetwater. They tend to be very consistent. Yeah.
0: And, and then I like the fact that it's uh, 420. Because anybody who knows me knows that I'm a, a fan and a supporter of the cannabis community.
1: As we all should be.
0: Yeah. And end mass incarceration behind that. Cheers.
1: Cheers. All right. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. Definitely pale
1: Yeah.
0: Taste that. You said this is the pale ale, sweet water. Don't float the mainstream.
1: Four twenty
0: is the brand. Is the name. I remember when you used to tell me this was an IPA, close to IPA.
1: But it's not really. Easy. No, it's not.
0: I'm, not. I'm not. I'm glad that you uh, got me on here recording. My <laughs>
1: recording.
0: This is not an IPA, y'all. Okay. No, it's
1: just a pale ale. It's
0: just a pale ale. Real talk. I mean it's hey, a, like this is the closest thing we got to a uh, IPA. Yeah. Whatever. I
1: mean it's slightly hoppy, but like mm-hmm. it don't got the like burst of flavor. You know, IPA's got the boldest, like bursty yeah. flavors.
0: But it's a good pale ale. I will mm-hmm. say that. Initially it has a very strong taste. And um, yeah, this is uh this is a good beer to um, let me see one more time. Okay, you have got done raking up your leaves in the fall or cutting some grass? You want to sit down and just chill out for a second. This is that beer that you sit down, you put it in your little, uh, your little camper chairs or whatever, put in a cup holder, sit there and sip, and just relax right before you got to go shower after doing all that yard work. Okay. It's good. It's tasty. You know what I'm saying. This is this is a good football beer.
1: I'm
0: I'm, I'm gonna say that off top because if you beer it, for the fall, beer for the fall. Because if this was in your cup at the at the stadium, they're probably gonna charge you about sixteen dollars for it, like that crazy. Oh, bless but it but but it's got some flavor to it. Not an IPA, Not an but IPA. it is a very good, uh, tasty pale ale.
1: So I would I would I would actually cook. I would drink this in the fall while I'm cooking. Okay. A nice little chili, you know, a little lamb chili or something. Yeah. You know, drinking one a couple of these while it's stewing.
0: Yeah.
1: Or a cute little gumbo dish.
0: Yeah, because and this is a parallel, but it has a bold taste to it. Yeah. And it's not like regular parallels where it feels like super light.
1: It doesn't feel like... It feels yeah. kind of heavy. It's, and
0: it's, it's 5.6. 5. 5. 5.7 5, 5. almost 6%. Okay, so it's a heavier parallel. And so uh, it's it, it's not like one of them parallels. You be like, ah, okay, American. Like, you go someplace and you get them APAs and American parallels. This is not an American parallel at all. Mm-mm. They love to say them American parallels is like close to IPA. No. The India parallels are something <laughs> else different.
1: To me, an APA is almost...
0: Like a pilsner, I wasn't gonna say it, <laughs> but the ones i tasted are close. Like, this is not close to a pilsner, I'll say that.
1: No, this is far from a pilsner,
0: sweet water, extra pill, extra pill. That like maybe that's a difference. EPA, yeah,
1: 420. Okay, so we recommend it. You could do this if you, you know what I'm saying, if you, if you start, if you maybe like the intermediate. You
0: could do one of these. Yeah, yeah, and I'll say this right there. Uh, I know some of y'all like to go drink beers, these type of beers, somewhere outside of the bar. So I'm gonna tell you a place you need to request another place to have this beer. Uh, tell you, the casino you go to <laughs> pick up this beer, man, because casinos have drinkers there all day long and don't nobody. Man, tell the casino get an extra. Pale L 420.
1: 420. Because
0: they be having some weak beers, the casinos like everybody don't drink Bud, Light Budweiser. Weiser. But
1: then ponies. You know what's interesting? What's so interesting to me is like ponies. you know, Miller lights.
0: Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Like, oh, why, right. why people be having them ponies? I'd be like,
1: that's what y'all drinking. But what's wild to me? Let me tell you what's wild about it. We ponies. gotta
0: get some black clubs on IPAs. I'm sorry. And we something else besides just what is a bud like? What is that? What is is that a Pilsner?
1: Bud lights or pills next.
0: We gotta get our black owned clubs off all these pillars and put them on something else. Come on, y'all.
1: And then if y'all, if we do get it, can we do charge 75 cents like y'all do the ponies? Because I seen the sign today that they say pony was 75 cent. I was like, oh shoot.
0: Yeah. It made
1: me want to get the pony just because it was 75 cents. Because cent.
0: you can get a pony in middle high life for 75 cents, because the 32 ounce can. It's only a dollar twenty-five. <laughs> they still getting over on you.
1: I was just like, I don't want to vomit, so let me not do it.
0: <laughs> Miller highlight. Remember, it wasn't named the name mayor on the on, uh, right. Do the right thing. Let me get a Miller highlight. Because <laughs> he was mad because they didn't have him. He wanted a Miller highlight, but they had all they had was Miller Light. He was like, "Get some Miller highlight in here." No. Well, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Like, them ponies, they're going to be cheap because the beer is cheap. Let's get some craft beers in these black owned businesses. But you know what? Me and Boo, we're going to work on that for you. We're working on it. Working on that for y'all. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. All right. So,
1: yeah. And as always, you know, stay tuned to the podcast.
0: (laughs) Hey, it's all love over here, all black, everything over here, man. I'm your boy, Bali.
1: And, uh, Mm
0: That's what it is right there. Big bro love you.
1: Yeah, sign it out. Binge watch any everything Michael K. Williams for the next month or so. His birthday in November. So if that accounts for anything, start back up then.
0: Somebody can you throw a Michael K. Williams party.
1: All Let's right. Let's do it.
0: God Peace. bless your life. Peace.
1: <laughs> awesome.